If you've got a Bible, can you turn to the book of Galatians? Um, I, have to, I want to blame this sermon on Steve Hawkins, uh, because uh, Steve was preaching from Galatians chapter 3, and uh, it will come up, and you put my first slide up, and uh, I was supposed to be preaching, as, as some of the clever ones will know, from Galatians chapter 4, but was just reading back uh, in regard to uh, uh, the context of, uh, of, uh, of, of preaching from chapter 4, and actually read some verses in Galatians 3, got stuck in them, and that's the sermon. So everybody else is going to be, I'm going to be behind everybody else and not make any sense. So if you've got a, a Bible, Galatians 3, I just want to read four uh, verses and uh, they are somewhat what complex, but the, the, what stuck on me was the issue of a curse. Curses and blessings. So, Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 and 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. So that, that was what shocked me. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no man is justified before God by the law. For he who through faith is righteous shall live. But the law does not rest on faith. For he who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree, that in Jesus Christ the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Well, I got lost in curses, okay? So that's what I got. And I just got lost in in that whole thing. I I thought, oh, you know, I actually thought, am I under a curse? Am I under a blessing? And when Paul says in verse 10, all who rely on the law are under a curse, it reminds us of of chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, where he actually says, there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. So what Paul was doing was he was believing and did believe that there was a teaching amongst the churches in Galatia which was so destructive to people, so dishonouring to God, that it merited a divine curse. That's quite a shock, isn't it? It was a teaching that we might think might come from uh, the secular humanists out of Athens or, or or, uh, or something like that, but actually... What was happening is, is that there were God-fearing, these were God-fearing Jewish Christian church members from Jerusalem. And the reason the book of Galatians is such a radical, life-changing message is that it pr- pronounces a curse from God. This is not an, an atheist or an agnostic outsider, but a professing Christian that try to that try to serve God in a way that diminishes the grace of God and therefore they are under a curse. This is Christians who are cursed. 
And that was the shock. That was where I got stuck and didn't get to chapter 4. Because I actually got stuck in the fact, could I be living under the same curse? So, what are the dangers then of a false assurance? Because I thought, am I? Is there a false assurance for me? Galatians should be read as God's reminder to Gateway Church that we are in constant danger and false assurances. Wow. That Satan is continually at work, uh, tempting us to think that because we use some sort of God talk, because we come to church, because uh, we pray at mealtimes and do grace, because we perhaps haven't got the gross sins that our next door neighbour says, that we are actually blessed. That that is what it means to be blessed. For what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. You are blessed. But the book of Galatians concerns a group of people which are called Judaizers who do all of those things and yet are under God's curse. So when I was looking at this, I thought, I, I, I'm, I'm not sitting easily under the scrutiny of this book. I'm thinking, oh, dear. Because I thought this... And it's just simply that a divine curse or a divine blessing is at stake. And I know the one that I wanted, and I know the one that I was fearing that I might be living under. Let me just take this a little bit further. There's a little bit of explanation. The divide is not between church people and not church people, nor is it between those who call Jesus Lord and don't. It is between those who on the one hand who have been crucified in Christ, now live in continuing reliance on Christ, and those on the other hand who have never really died to Christ. And, as all, and although they have religious activity, and although their, mo- their mor- morality is high, they live as an exercise in looking and being religious. The one group glorifies the cross and have died to everything but God, and the other diminishes the, the grace of God, which is what Galatians 2.21 says, and diminishes the cross of Christ, which is what Galatians 5.11 said. The one group are church members enjoying the blessings of God, the promises of Abraham and all his descendants, and the others are living and they do not know it under a curse. Therefore, the way that we need to look at this message from Galatians, I believe, should be in perhaps sober examination. That has been my journey this week. My journey has been one of sober examination. Why do I say that? Because 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 tells us that we should examine ourselves to see if we are standing in the faith. Examine this, examine myself so that I might know that I'm standing in faith. Test yourselves. Ask yourself this question. Am I living in the reality of Christ's work? Rejoicing in a new life and a new power? Or is this title pricking your conscience and perhaps moving you to prayer and repentance? I'll just say again, at stake is a blessing or a curse. 
Galatians 3, the verses that are behind me, make three statements. So I just want to work through those three statements, but under different headings, but we'll just work through. First statement is verse 10. Those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Hmm. Second is verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse. Third is verse 14. And gives us the purpose of the others. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So let's try and work this out. Let's ask the question about works of the law. First, those who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now the opposite to curse is quite simple. Blessing. And this is clear from verse 13 and 14 where it says that Christ became a curse for us that we might have the blessing of Abraham. And since the blessing according to verse 14 uh, is the Holy Spirit, the curse must at least be an absence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when verse 10 says, those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, it means, as, as chapter 3 and verse 7, that, we, that there are people who live without the reality of the Holy Spirit. It means that they and do not know it, but they are cut off from the presence of God. That's, that's extraordinary, isn't it? Cut off from the presence of God. Now you see how crucial this is, And how crucial it is not to live in what the Apostle Paul calls works of the law. Let me try and explain that phrase, works of the law. There's no Greek word for religiosity or legalism. There just isn't. Believe me, there isn't. Okay? And when Paul wanted to refer to the legalistic misuse of Moses' teaching, he had to use terms that didn't quite match up to what he was trying to explain. So he used the term law and trusted that the context would, would help him. Or he used misuse of the law. Or he would use works of the law. Which for him, uh, although wasn't a be- best choice because it was negative and legalistic, it was the best that he could come up with. The law itself condemns its own use as a way of proving our worth to God and trying to earn our blessings. We know that because it tells us Jesus says that and we know that that's what Jesus talked about to people who were trying to... Do you remember the, the, the guy that said, well, you know, I've kept all your commandments... It still didn't bring him a blessing, did it? You remember that? See, so what we're referring to here when we're talking to the works of the law is a legalistic misuse of the law. Basically, a behavior, an attitude, a style of living that that is beyond what the Bible actually asks you to do. That it has outward appearances and, and, and things that people say and, and things that they do and they attach a lot of importance to those things. So the works of the law in chapter 3 verse 10 does not do, refer to obedience that comes from a faith. But it is a self-reliant obedience. It's the opposite to faith. 
That's why in, in the verses that, uh, in, in verse 5 it says, Does not he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing faith? If you like, the work of the law has never done a miracle. Faith does miracles. It's true, isn't it? That's how it happens. You don't just do some stuff and miracles happen. Miracles happen by faith. We're called to live by faith. That is it. So I want you to think of it particularly like this. Works of law are not the good works or the good talks or the good outward looking that a Christian does on the outside. What the Christian should be looking for is a focus on the cross and Jesus and a reliance on the Holy Spirit. Those are the things that matter to God. Let me try to explain it this way. It's the best thing I could do. It's a little choo-choo. It's not the best illustration. I want you to think of of your life as as a railway track, and I've had to cut off some of it. It's going uphill towards heaven. That's the way that it's doing. And God gave us the law so that he might show us the route to heaven along which the spirit, the engine, should pull us up as if we're coupled to him by faith. We're on a journey like those people to heaven, but it's the spirit that's taking us there. That's how it works. I'm not taking myself there. The Spirit is. The Spirit is everything that is the power and the means behind me to get me up that hill towards heaven. Without it, the only thing that you can do is try and get up there yourself, which is what the Judaizers were saying. Because many religious people today know nothing actually of living with Jesus. And we have to be careful that we are not living and trying to go that track without Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Let me try and do it like this. Imagine that the railway track is the track of the law. It's raised up on its end and it's turned up as a ladder. And basically the way that you climb that hill is without the engine. But what you do is that you say the right things, you go to the right places, you behave in a particular way. That what you do is that you adopt a particular lifestyle and that is the way and eventually you can get to the top by your own effort. Those are the works of the law. The works of the law are climbing that hill with or without the engine. And here's the sad thing about Galatians, that there were people that didn't know that they were even, that the, the engine was missing. There were people doing the stuff without the engine. That's just mad. You just think, well, I don't, I, I'm doing this stuff and I don't even realise that the Holy Spirit and the presence of God is not with me any longer. That's bad state, isn't it, really? That's what I thought, ah, oh, Nigel. Are you doing it without the Holy Spirit? Church, are you doing it without the Holy Spirit? Cool. So let's look at then faith versus the works of the law. Now I hope that we can see that what verse 10 is getting at. In verses 1 to 5, the Judaizers had told the Christian Galatians that it's okay to start the Christian life by faith. 
That's what that said. But later on, what you have to do is you have to do some work yourself. You, you begin by faith and the power of the Spirit. You've done that. That happened over here. And now you do it without that. You do it with your own work. And Paul's answer to that is it can't be done. He says that's his argument. The God who's supplying the Spirit and working miracles is the, is the way that we go on. We go on the way we began. We began by faith. We began by grace. We began by the cross. We began by a work of the Holy Spirit. And we continue in that way until we get to heaven. There is no other answer than that one. And if you start by faith, but shift over, you and me are going to be under a curse. I want you to notice something. Because this is what will happen in your life. You will feel that your life is a tug of war. That you are being pulled in all directions. That you move from apparently curse to blessing. And if you notice in verse 10, it is not because you fail to do the works of the law. Actually, you are doing them. It's because you are trying to supplement things in your life so that you might feel good about God and good about you. The exact opposite that you are looking for happens. You live and bring yourself a curse and not a blessing. If you remember, this was worked out in the Acts of the Apostles. Because what happened was that Peter decided one day that what he needed to do was not only live by faith, this is the guy that saw the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost, that what he decided that he would do was add on to that some dietary laws. This is a guy that had known the Spirit come that had known the power of God, that had watched incredible things, that had gone into the temple and prayed for people and seen people healed and saved and changed incredibly. And then he's moving on and he says, yeah, but what you need to do is is add on cheese on toast. (laughs) Because cheese on toast Wednesday makes you more holy. And if you have it on Thursday, it doesn't work. It's like fish on Friday. What is all that about? But my mum taught fish on Friday. So that's the way that we we sort of do. You add something on. And the thing that you do becomes more important than the thing that you were birthed in. We can see that again with Titus. Do you remember the whole thing of Titus? The Judaizers were saying that what should happen to Titus is that he should be circumcised. What will happen is that Titus was a good fellow. He was filled with the Spirit. He loved Jesus. Well, that's okay. But now, as a man, the best way for him to get access to God is to do himself some damage at his old age. So that's, that's the way through. Okay, and, this is, and that's the thing. You will not experience God if you do this. I will confess that I had a difficult job with my leaders on Thursday. 
I'm going to tell you that in front of the lot of them. Because I was trying to say to them on, tu- on Thursday night, there are only two things that matter. One is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Second one is being filled with the Spirit. So I had all sorts of answers about, about you know, coffee cups and chairs and all sorts of things. And, also, and, and that's, well, actually, well, if we just move a chair like this, Holy Spirit will come. What? No, what we need to do is serve this a little bit better. And you think, no, no, that's not the way. What we need to do, I could have said this. I, I was just waiting for it. Third, third one down, I know, so we'll all get circumcised. Yes, we'll all do that. That'll make a difference. We'll all be gateway church men circumcised. And by the way, women, you can be circumcised too. But so we were doing that. But actually, do you know the law was never intended to be like that? Because we can misuse what God gives us and say that if we do this, then God will work. No, it always was faith, it always was the cross, it always was the Holy Spirit, and it always will be. And when the law's given, it isn't just, well, I I haven't murdered. It isn't just that. It isn't. It's to do with how we behave in regard to the commands that we're given. I was brought up as a strict Baptist. So I was brought up a three suit um, a day man. And I actually thought, for me not to wear a tie, which you can't believe this, but I actually thought, for me not to wear a tie, meant that I was ungodly. That you were unclean, you dirty lot. (laughs) And it was very difficult for me. It sounds awful because I know that you're looking at me thinking, he's just a young man. Don't lie. I'm just... And I was looking at this and, and, and it was very difficult for me to give up my tie because I related ties and suits as being in the presence of God. Now what do you do? But when Jesus gave, when, sorry, Moses gave the Lord and all the different things that come with it, what did he say that went with them? He said what went with them was a new heart. He said that what went with them was an enablement by God to live them. You can find that. They're all in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 4. You, can, you, you can't do these things on your own. You need a new heart. You, you need an enablement with God. Exodus chapter 14. You need to do them what? By faith. This is in the Old Testament. You do them by faith. Numbers chapter 14. And if we do life and expect them, the, the Holy Spirit to come, we are joking ourselves. Because what we will do is end up like this. We will end up going to church and striving. Let me ask you a question. Straight up. Are you a Christian who's living striving? Are you striving to be better? Are you striving to do what God has called you to do? You're striving to just be a little bit changed. Of the things that you've done, you thought, well, I've tried that, but it hasn't worked. Well, maybe if I try this. Try the tie, that helps. <laughs> the most anointed person, I don't know whether Bill's got one on, is Peter. <laughs> Mainly because that's my old tie. So, <laughs> so works of the law and curse of the law. Now, if you're following me, please hang on, because I'm going to just, uh, this is very controversial. And I'll explain why I'm going to do, why it's controversial. If there is any way which I could make this simpler, I would. 
Let me try and do this. The usual uh, interpretation of these verses from from 10 to 12 is that Paul contrasts the Mosaic law with faith and argues that since... Sorry, sorry, that Paul contrasts the Mosaic law with faith and argues that since no one keeps the Mosaic law perfectly, we are all under a curse. Do you understand that? Yeah? That's that's the general argument about that one. We can't keep the law... Therefore, we're all under a curse. I, I just want to go and argue with that. I just want to say, I don't believe that. My understanding is that Paul contrasts faith not with the Mosaic law, but with legalism and with extras and attitudes and hearts and that sort of stuff. And it's that that pronounces a curse. And I think the word law in verses 11 and 12 doesn't refer to the teaching of Moses, but a distortion of what Moses taught. taught. I'm going to paraphrase three verses and then move on because uh, I don't need to ask me questions afterwards. Verse 10, let me paraphrase this. All, this is my paraphrase, all who cease to live wholly by faith and apply themselves to keeping the law in their own strength in order to earn God's fullness Fullest favour are under a curse of the law. Yeah? All who cease to live wholly by faith and apply themselves to keeping the law in their own strength in order to earn God's favour are under a curse. How do I know that? Because Deuteronomy 27 tells me that. And Jesus said that. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? He said, look, to the, to the guy. And he said, look, you know... It isn't an attitude of you doing... You've done all the commandments. Now, live like this. 11. It is clear that justification can never be achieved by legalism. That's true. You were not justified by what you did. You were justified by faith. Yeah? Hear that. You are not justified by what you do. You're not justified by market research or what you look like or what, the length of your nose. You're justified by faith. So why are we moving away from that then? Twelve. But legalism is not rooted in faith. On the contrary, its roots uh, has its slogan uh, from Leviticus 18 and verse 5. He who does them shall live by them. That's the slogan. That's the slogan that they were using. He who does them shall live by them. And the danger is with that distortion is that what, you, what the problem is, is that they're saying you gain life by adding on effort. No, you don't gain life by adding on effort. So if you take these verses in the usual way and make verse 12 teach that the Mosaic law was not based on faith, there seems to be major contradictions. Romans 3 verse 31 says that the law is established not overthrown by faith. Romans 9 verse 32 says the law itself is intended to be followed by faith, not by works. I told you it was complex. So it seems to me that we we need to honour both the law the old covenant and the new covenant. That isn't just saying the old died, full stop. 
dismiss. We, we are now people, and you've heard this, haven't you? You hear people say, we are people of the New Testament. We are people that live according to the Gospels and the letters, and we dismiss that. I don't think that that's what either the, the Jesus does or the Apostle Paul does. I think there is an honouring of both. But what I do believe is that in the honouring of both, if we distort the old and live according to good works, we will live under a curse. So my only point is this. Good you may be. Moral I may be. Religious we probably both are. But if we have not been and live as if Christ is crucified and have his spirit empower us, then we are falling short and under a curse. You can come to church, be stirred by doctrine, appear to undertake God's work, serve with enthusiasm, contribute as these people were doing in the churches in Galatia and still be under a curse because you've moved from your original point of being saved by faith, justified by faith, taken up with the one and only Jesus Christ and, his, and are now doing it in your own effort and not filled with the Spirit. And that is shocking and that is the point. The point of this letter is that it is shocking. And I suppose what I want to do is shock you. I want to say, my goodness me, that could be me. I could be living in exactly the same way. So we need to lighten it up somewhat. Christ, our curse bearer. The second statement, verse 13, Christ has redeemed you from the curse of law. Paul knew that he stood under a curse for years. He had devoted himself not just to the law, but, but legalistic law keeping. If you remember in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, he, he stood and said, I have been blameless in regard to all those things. He, he said, not only have I done them, I've done the extra stuff as well. I am blameless. He said, in regard to his contemporaries, not only in law-keeping, but doing the extras that were there on top of the law, that he, um, he, was, uh, he, he, that he excelled for zeal in those things. So he was blameless, full of zeal. But this is his point. His personal point was this, that when he came into the kingdom of God, he knew nothing about faith and he knew nothing about reliance on the Holy Spirit. It was a shock to him. It was a shock. He did not know, the, the Apostle Paul did not know the first thing about faith and reliance of the Holy Spirit. And so he's actually saying, I myself was under a curse. And that's why on another way that we need to read this letter as very personal. Paul's writing to people because he is, he is, he's saying, don't experience what I experienced. Dear Galatians, don't go there. Please don't go there. It was very personal for him. He would say, look, I know what it's like to live 
in a way that does not experience the Holy Spirit. I know what it's like. I know what, what it does in your head and what happens in your heart. I know the strivings that you go through. And although I was blameless and although I was full of sin, where did it get me? Please, guys, don't do it. I want you to enjoy the benefits of being crucified with Christ. I want, to, I want you to feel the benefits of being empowered with the Holy Spirit. Know from me, dear your mate, Paul. Let me ask you some questions. What hope is it when you try and get God to do something for you by trying to bribe him with the virtue? Yeah? If I, if you just do this weedy thing for me, Lord, then I will do signs and wonders for you. It's sort of, it's sort of, I bring my moralistic thing to this kingdom and then you could, what is that? Let's get this on the, on a level. God doesn't need to do anything for us. He doesn't have to. He's God. And if, if he doesn't do anything for us ever, ever again, he is still God. He is still awesome creator God. And we go, I just need to have a word with you. I'm blooming angry with you. You have cheesed me off so much because you haven't done this. He goes, oh yeah, you were right. What are we doing? Bartering with him. Saying, you know, I'll exchange this for something that you, you do. This is what the Judaizers would do. If I exchange this, with that, you'll do that. This is just balmy. This is just mad. We have no hope at all if we live like this. Unless God in his remarkable love is willing to transfer our sentence of death from one to another, we have no hope. <laughs> he transferred... He took my death, my sin. He transferred everything. The heart of the gospel is who? Jesus. The heart of the Christian life is who? Jesus. This is not just a a guy. This is the one who knew no sin was made to be no sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was not guilty of anything, not one moment of legalism. He trusted his Father perfectly. He was full of the Spirit to be able to do what he did. He did what he did as a man full of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't some sort of exceptional thing. No, he laid aside his majesty. He was fully God, but full of the Holy Spirit. That's how he did it. That's the model. He fulfilled the law perfectly. So when he experienced what the Bible says, the curse of the law on the cross, now imagine this. This is not Mike. This is not his curse because he doesn't need to be cursed. He's full of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what he tells us. He says that the Holy Spirit fell on him. He tells us time and time again that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, did this and that and the other and the other. So he goes on to the cross and he, the, the Bible tells us that he bore our curse, our curse, not his, mine. And you see that at that ultimate moment on the cross when he cries out, doesn't he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? My curse. What is the curse? The curse is no Holy Spirit, lack of the Father's presence. He had never, ever experienced anything like that in his life before. But because he so loved us, because he so wanted us to be saved, he stood on the cross. And at the moment when the curse was put upon him, the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from him. The Father's presence was withdrawn for him. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Surely that's our cry sometimes when we gather at prayer meetings and small groups. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why was he experiencing that? So that you do not have to ever go without the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. He experienced it so that you can have it. So, why throw it away then? Why live without it? Why live for the very thing that Jesus died for? He died so that you might know the presence and so that you might experience the Holy Spirit. When you look at the statement, my God, my God, why do you forsaken me? You look and think, no, that was for me. That's why I need to be pressing into the Holy Spirit more than ever. Remember this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we stricken him, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. And with his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, so that you can have the Father's presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The good news is that people that have come under the curse of God for the sin of self-reliance, We've all done that at some time, haven't we? Done it our own way. There is a way out. And it's the same way that you came in. Look to Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've only got one message, really, haven't I? Look to Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, work, pension, children, grandchildren. No, look to Jesus and live. Abundant life. 
comes by basking in him. It's just mad, but I love it. Final statement and the final part of this is in verse 14, which it says that God's aim in providing Jesus as a saving substitute was that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, that's us, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul sees the blessing of Abraham tells us that it's the Holy Spirit, tells us that it's received by faith, and tells us that when we quit holding on to our own desires for self, look away from our own righteousness and strength to the grace of God, then you will experience the Holy Spirit. I was trying badly on Thursday night to just read some scriptures for Acts chapter 10, where the Apostle Paul just gets, sorry, Peter, just gets interrupted in a sermon. And I just thought it was funny. Because normally I get interrupted by a witty comment or something like that. You know, that's how people interrupt me. And the Holy Spirit interrupted Peter's sermon. And it just says that while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell. And you think, when you look at it, what was Peter doing? All Peter was doing was preaching Jesus. That's what he was doing. He was preaching Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell. That's it. Do you know why you feel the lack of the Holy Spirit? And that's just that Jesus is not there. Put Jesus back. You'll, you'll know the Holy Spirit. It's just the pattern that it works. Shouldn't scratch and do that when there's a microphone there, shouldn't it? The connection between 13 and 14 teaches us that the substitutionary death of Jesus purchases a right for us to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. That is amazing. So what's Paul in chapter 3 doing? He's pleading, he's arguing with the Galatian church not to be witched and, and, and supplement faith by effort. Did you receive the spirit of the work of the law by hearing or by faith? No, faith. Having begun with the spirit, are you now ending in the flesh? Does he who supplies the spirit to you work miracles amongst you? Do you, by, so, you so by the works of the law or by hearing by faith? It is people of faith, not works, who are the children of Abraham and inherit the blessing. People who take up works are under a curse. The law tells us that. The substitutionally death of Christ is our only all-sufficient hope. And because of it, Jesus is willing to pour out his spirit so that the engine can be stoked so that we can live and climb the hill to heaven. It's when we are crucified to ourselves and are crucified with him and give ourselves to faith to the son of God that loved us that we will know an empowering of the Holy Spirit that will help us to live so I want to close will you choose the way of blessing or the way of a curse what sets you under one or under the other is not so much what you do as in the way that you do it 
circumcision, according to the Bible, may be a work of law, but it may be a work of grace also. In fact, the same dietary conditions that Peter was looking at can be a work of the law, or they can be a work of grace. Depends how you live. We can be legalistic about Sunday school teaching, preaching. We can be anti-abortionists and write letters. We can have sit-ins, if you like. We can have a nuclear demonstration. We can be very politically minded. We can be very up on the environment. Your own job may be the thing that's important to you. But all these will be done if they are done. Oh, sorry, all these can be done either by works of law, because they're not wrong, or by works of strength, by God's Holy Spirit. It's what empowers you. It's not what you do. It's, it's how you do Sunday school, Sunday school teachers. It's how, it's how I preach. How do you do work? How do you, how do you go to work? Well, ask yourself, why are you so knackered when you come back from work? Because the source is wrong. It's just quite simple, really. How do I preach? Well, it's not... It's not how you obey, it's who you rely on and who gets the credit. That's the issue. Who you rely on. It's not the little thing, it's the big thing that matters. When I was preparing this week, the major battle that I was fighting was not the struggle of how much effort I would use to prepare this sermon. Because I have a tendency to be lazy. So I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to be lazy, okay? That's just standard, okay? But the major battle was actually a matter of faith. And it's still the major battle for you. Let me just put this in the context of how I was, pre- how I was preparing. Did I, did, this is how my week went. Did I really believe that when Jesus died, all my curse was lifted, that I could say with scripture, what can man do to me? That's where I was battling with. That's the reality. Did I re- really believe that the death of Jesus is the pledge to, to God to withhold no good thing from me? No, I was battling with that. Did I re- really believe that all things work together for my good? No, I chanted like a good one. And actually, because I do things publicly, so did probably you this week. And all things work together for good. Stop that. Don't believe that. Did I really believe the counsel of Jesus when he said, do not be anxious beforehand? No, of course I didn't. I went round like a headless, anxious chicken. Clucking and plucking at every meeting that I went in and the way out. I have to confess to even buy a bottle of wine. On the way back from the church meeting, I was so depressed. And you know it's strange when you walk in at Sainsbury's at 5 to 10. Nobody's in there. You think, am I the only one depressed in here? 
And they all look at you. They're stacking the shelves and they think, we're putting them on. What are you doing? I'm in there. Why? Because I'm struggling with faith. (coughs) This is the struggle every day. And the problem is that what we do when we get like that is that we think what we can do is change some moralistic behavioural things. And we put an answer to it. And we say, well, if I do this and do that, just adjust the chair like that. Holy Spirit will come. Rubbish leaders, what are you doing? No, not ever, not ever once. How do I do it? How do we do it? Here it comes. It is simples. I can only say this once, but I'm going to say it every week. It is only simples. You live by faith by the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Amen. That's it. My, I'm consumed with him, what he has done. We've had a situation this week, somebody's spoken to us, and what we realised is, is that the focus had just gone. If the focus is on you, you will not succeed. If the focus is on Jesus, you will. It is just as simple as that. And sometimes what you want to do is you will cancel me for three hours. Here it is. Look to Jesus. That is it. Who loved you and gave himself for you and redeemed you so that you didn't have to live by that. He took the curse on himself. So it comes back to the simple thing. If we are looking to the cross and being filled with the spirit and any glory of anything that I do goes to him. My worship is to him. My honour is to him. I don't achieve anything from my efforts. I achieve everything through his efforts. 